Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here, see you all. Um, we're looking at maturity this morning, growing into maturity. Growth means growing into maturity. Why would you want to be mature? It's a question you ask. I don't quite like being a kid, really. But um, why would you? Because, you know, what, you remember the Great Commission? Go into all the world and make everyone a Christian. Is that what it says? No, it doesn't. Go into the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them everything that I commanded you. We need to grow. As Christians, it's as if we become babies and then we can start to grow. And it's vital. And I think so many Christians don't grow. And that's really sad. And if we're going to grow this church, I believe we as Christians need to grow ourselves. Let's think about growing up as, you know, people in a natural way. Let's we start like this, don't we? I don't know who this is, actually. We might be me. <laughs> it might be my brother, actually, because we don't know. Cause Five minutes later, we're um, like this, we become a child. Then what happens? <laughs> We're a teenager. It's amazing, isn't it? And then we're in our youth, in our 20s, the prime of our life, maybe. Yeah, it was for me. It was a great time. Middle-aged. Old geezer. <laughs> I know I'm an old geezer because this Thursday I was standing in the tube in London and a middle-aged lady offered me her seat. <laughs> it's true, she did. <laughs> it was so embarrassing. She, um, as you might suspect, she was, um, was one of the ethnic minorities. She was somewhere from uh, Indonesia or Malaysia or something, some oriental country, which may explain why um, she thought she ought to do it. <laughs> Did my head in. Let's go back if I can make this clicker work. There you go. Baby, what do babies need to grow? Food, yes. What else do you think? They love. Oh, that's vital. I hope someone would say that. They need love. Anything else? Protection. Sleep, sorry? Protection. Protection, security. Yes, absolutely. And if we go forward again, he needs the same, I guess. But what about this teenager? Is there any, they need food, don't they? My experience of having teenagers in the house is they just woof everything up. But they need food, love, all those kind of things. What else do they think they need? Boundaries, yes. Think about boundaries. What about stretching them? Education, yes. This, um, this photo of me was taken when I was 17, and it's taken in, um, in South Africa. Yeah, that's at the, in Johannesburg. I was already working a year, and uh, I, uh, my mother, came when I came home from work one day, said, you've been at, at the airline for over a year. 
you get staff concessions, we're going to South Africa to see my friend. <laughs> okay, Mum. So we did. And it was a real shock. In those days, apartheid was in full flood. Yeah? With petty apartheid, whites only on this bus, blacks. It was all like that. Real shock for someone coming out to England. Real experience. So pushing the boundaries open. Okay, well, let's see. Growing up, what does it mean to grow up as a Christian? Well, how do we do it? Well, there's lots of stuff in the Bible. We're going to look at a few verses. We're not going to go into tremendous depth in any of them, but I do want to go through these scriptures with you because they're great, basically. And they're more important than what I say, are these scriptures. So do, do hang on to them. And let's look at the first one. It says, Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up to your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Crave pure spiritual milk. What's that, I wonder? What would pure spiritual milk be? Well, if you read the passage, if you go back and look at the context of 1 Peter 1, you'll see at the end there he talks about the Word of God, the Word of God that lasts forever, that never goes away, which is always relevant. It talks about how we preach to you. This is the Word that was delivered to you. It's the Word of God. We need that Word. I was present at the birth of my three children. And when my daughter was born, they gave her to me just straight after she was born, wrapped in a blanket. And put, I put her on my shoulder like this proud dad. And she opened her mouth and ran along my shoulder trying to find something to suck, to suckle. And she carried on doing that. She didn't stop until we could give her to her mum. Dad was no good, but mum was what she needed. That desire, someone has written that we should be addicted to the word of God. I was amazed when I read that. Can you imagine being addicted to reading the Bible? Most of us struggle at times, you know, in our quiet times or whatever. We've got to get through to the Bible. It's Leviticus again. You know, it's, it's a struggle sometimes to read it. But we need to be creative. We need to think new translations, new ways of reading, new notes, new, maybe listen to it on an audio book. We need to get into the Word, whatever we need to do. We need to be creative and do it. So the first thing is that we need to feed upon the Word. If we're going to grow as Christians, we have to be into God's word. But there's more. There's more. This scripture is from Hebrews. We have much more to say about this, he says, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you are no longer understand. He's really telling them off. In fact, by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk is being still an infant. 
as not acquainted with teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish themselves between good and evil. He's changed the metaphor. We all need to like, be like newborn babies, feasting on the word. But at some point we have to go on to solid food. And what's that solid food? Well, we've taken in the word, we've fed on it, now we have to apply it to our lives. We have to use it. We have to put it into our lives. And we have to learn to live day by day by the Holy Spirit as he teaches us and learns us. You know, it would be so easy as Christians if we had a long list of instructions and do's and don'ts. But often we don't, do we? Graham last week talked about single-sex attraction and how Christians disagree. We have to work things out in our lives day by day. Love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus said. How does that work? What does that mean when you go in the office tomorrow? How do you love your neighbor as yourself? How does it work out? You have to work it out. Well, not by yourself, with God's help, with his spirit, and through, as you understand the Bible, putting it into practice. We need to work it out. It's an amazing verse, I thought. By solid food is by the much, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish between good and evil. How does that work? How do we know? We practice, we use our gifts that God has given us. As you read the Bible, especially the New Testament, if you're a new Christian, you'll be quite surprised and wonder about bits of it that go on for quite a long time, about um, eating food offered to idols. And you can be forgiven for thinking, well, there aren't many problems like that around here. You know, when we go to Tesco's or Sainsbury's or wherever, we don't worry when we go to the meat counter whether it's been offered to an idol or not. It's not our problem. But or is it? Actually, it is. There are things of conscience that offend people, which we may have to not do not because it's our conscience, but because it's theirs. There are things that we may be offended by other people. We may th- they may think it's fine. These things we need to work out in our lives. It's critical. So, growth comes through daily learning what is right. Growth comes through that experience of your Christian life. Christian life, day by day. The next verse, or verses, are some familiar ones, I think, for a lot of people. Yes, it certainly is, because we've had it so much today. You know, I like to have fun. I like to be well. I like to have a few bob in my pocket to spend and not be broke. I said to Jenny, not very seriously, I don't want to be ill ever again in my life. She said, that's not very realistic, Martin. And uh, yeah, I said, it isn't realistic, but I don't want to be ill again, ever. Why would we want to? We want to be 
in good times. We want to be with good relations. We want to be in good relations with our family. But things happen. Stuff happens. God never promises Christians that they will live a charmed life where nothing ever goes wrong. And of course, it does. Things happen to us. Things happen to us. And it's a critical thing. James says it's for the testing of your faith. And it really is. It's often at these points that we really find out how strong our faith is and how real it really is. And some people fail it. We don't know often why these things happen. Um, about, it was 11 years ago that um, I knew that there was something really wrong with me. Uh, I went to the doctor and got referred uh, to Salisbury Hospital. And they were investigating to whether uh, I had a problem with my bowel. And was it cancer or was it something else? And I was here in church one Sunday. And after the service, um, I spoke to a woman who has long lift, lost, lost, left this church. And um, she said to me, it would be good if it's cancer, because then you could help other people. I don't know how you'd feel if someone said that to you. I was so gobsmacked, I couldn't say anything. And I've told this story before because it seems so horrific. You know, if you're ever tempted to give this advice, my advice is don't, whatever you do. Well, that was 11 years ago. This summer, I had to take a friend to hospital at Salisbury. And she had a number of tests of things, and they decided that she should have a colonoscopy. And at the end of that session, we went in. I was surprised to go in. I went in with her um, for the debrief to tell her what the results of the colonoscopy were. And as we went in, there was a specialist nurse who was to do that task. And she looked at me and said, I know you, don't I? I said, yes, I'm a, I was a patient of yours. In fact, I still am because I get regular tests. I'm a patient of yours. And yes, it was a diagnosis of bowel cancer. It was like deja vu. And I was there on that day. It seemed like God's provision. I didn't expect to go in. I didn't expect to take her to the hospital because Jenny would have normally done it. But she was ill that day. And so it was me sitting there listening to that, feeling, well, this is what I went through 11 years ago, being told I have bowel cancer. Mine's fine, by the way. It's all sorted. It was early stage. But how much was it helpful? Well, it was on the day. It was useful. I could say, this is what happened to me. It was useful. But we've diverged now. My experience then is not her experience now. It's no longer relevant. And this is once in 11 years. To me, that was surely God's planning, but that wasn't why I suffered. We don't know often the reason. But I tell you what I got out of that more than anything else. Those months when I didn't know how things would go 
when I didn't know whether it was going to be really serious or just normally serious, or whether I was going to live or die or I mean, terrible state, when I didn't know what would happen is the time I knew I had to depend on God. You know, I felt, I don't know what you're going to do, God, but I do know this, I can hang on to you, I can depend on you. That's what I really got out of it. Growth comes from learning patience in the trials of life. I put an oyster with a pearl there deliberately because you know how pearls are created? They're a pollutant going into the oyster which it protects. Great stuff coming out of bad. It's been great this morning. Another key verse. This is rather long, but it's really important. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. There will be no longer be infants tossed about forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their dreadful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow up to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each does its part. For decades, the first part of those verses have been debated. Are apostles still for today? What about prophets? Are teachers and pastors the same thing, or are they different things? For decades, in the church generally, that's been debated, and I think we've missed the point, because we don't talk about what the intention is. What's why are they given? Christ has given this for the Christ, for the church. First, it says, to equip his people for works of service. So firstly, it, those gifts were given so that all of us can be built up in the faith and be Christian. I'm empowered and find what our gift is and what God has in, intended for us. That's the first point. So there's a work of service that each of us can do for God if only we could discover it. And we can. Secondly, when he talks about building up, it's like this is security. It's what we said about the baby, doesn't it? It needs protection. It needs security. So does the child. So does the teenager need those boundaries. And we need to be the support and the protection of each other in the church. Tony was so right. It's what other people give us. It's the, that loving embrace around us in the church that's so, so vital. And that brings me to love. Do you notice how love is repeated there? It's taken me, I think, 50 years to really get this. You know, if you read the letters of Paul 
and Peter and all the rest, what comes up over and over again, often we talk about all kinds of issues, but what they seem to, he seems to say, Peter and Paul seem to say more than ever, is that you need to love each other. You need to love each other. And not just sort of sentimental. I don't know about you, I think God um, has a sense of humor. I really do. Think about it. God's plan is to take people from every social class, from ethnic, every group, from every personality type, from every age group, shove them all together and see how they get on. Isn't that right? Isn't that what the church is? I, I look at it that way. I think church is wonderfully united. Yeah? Look, Holy Spirit's doing a great job of keeping the church together. When you look at it that way. It was Pete two weeks ago who said that he saw a church divide solely on the different on a personality clash. And it happens. And one of the things God teaches us, why he puts us all together, is to learn to love each other in spite of we hate that personality. I've got to look at the ceiling at this point in case you think I'm talking about. But it's true. There'll be someone in this church who you find very difficult to get on with. Says he looking at the ceiling. (laughs) It's true. It's bad news. If you're a Christian, you've got to spend eternity with me. It's really sad. It's what it's about. God puts us together. And it's hard at times, let's face it. It is hard. But that's what God wants us to do, to really love each other. So growth comes, maturity growth comes by being part of the people of God. The Roman Catholics have a doctrine which says there is no salvation outside the church. I don't believe that. I know Christians who are outside the church. They, are, they do believe somehow they can't, someone's upset them, something's done in the church has really put them off and they can't come anymore. But I tell you this, I don't believe there's any Christian maturity outside the church because we have to learn We have to overcome those problems and learn to love and work together and be together. Perhaps you're feeling by this point, well, I can't ever do it. Yeah? If this is Christian maturity, I'm never going to get there. Well, the next scripture tells us that you are in good company. This is Paul in Philippians, Philippians 3. He says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. He's not there. Paul the Apostle's not there. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of, us, of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize to which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. 
And if on some point you disagree, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already obtained. I love that bit. If you don't agree with me, God will show you in time. It's fine. <laughs> but, but, I haven't got there, says Paul. But I'm forgetting what's up behind. I'm pressing on. I'm going heavenward. Let's. Growth comes from keeping going. It's perseverance. It's keeping going. It's not letting go. These are marathon runners. I selected, I went on the internet to get this picture deliberately for a look for marathon runners, and I rejected all pictures of marathon runners at the start, and I rejected all pictures of marathon runners at the end, at the finish line. I wanted them running, because this is the image that I want to give to you about growing to maturity. Where are we in our maturing as Christians? It may be you're just you're running this marathon, you're only half a mile in. But keep going. Maybe you're twenty miles. Maybe you're twenty-five and a half. None of us are there, but all of us are on the journey. We're all running the race. Running the race is a biblical metaphor, by the way. It's used extensively in the New Testament. We are running. We haven't arrived. We're not at the finish line. And that's where I want to go at the end. The final scripture that I have is this one. You may well have used it as a doxology, especially if you've been in a formal church setting. You may have said this many times. I just want us to spend a few minutes just thinking about verse 24 especially. This is from Jude, Jude 24 and 25, I believe. Yes. It says, To him, to God, who is able to keep you from stumbling. Stumbling. Many of the old versions says falling. Stumbling actually is a better translation. God in this life will not let you stumble. He'll hang on to you. If you trust him, he will hold on to you. He will not let you fall. He will not let you stumble. But it gets better. And to present you before his glorious presence. He's going to present you, me, before his glorious presence. We're going to be in God's presence without fault. Think of that. Without any fault at all. We will be perfect in every way. And I love the next bit. And with great joy. Uh, You're not only going to stand before God perfect. You can say it's going to be a glorious occasion. A joyful occasion. That's to me, is the vision. Growth comes from keeping the vision in mind. You mean we need to hold this in our head. This is the end point. This is our God who won't let us stumble, but who is going to make us perfect in his presence. And he's going to do it with great joy. That's our God. I'm going to finish there. 
But I'm reading that again. So I really want you to take that home and have that in your mind this week as you go out. The greatness of our God that we've said so much about today. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.